Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. I am your host, Rachel Meiselman, and you, of course, are listening to me on WBCA LP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So I have a lot of material to dive into tonight. So we're going to go right into the disclaimer and then we're going to come back and then we're going to just let it rip. (laughs) Oh my goodness, what a show for tonight. Here we go. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. My name, again, is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on WBCA LP 102.9 FM Boston. So as I said, there is just a lot to talk about today. Uh, it's it, My mind is blown. My mind is blown. So here we go. Claudine Gay. So it, it's funny... I, I I do want to preface what I'm about to say by really kind of calling out people who don't know anything about Harvard. Uh, if they comment on Harvard, if they weigh in on something Harvard-related, if Harvard is in the news, you know, it's just... It's your your typical sophomoric insult about Harvard being elite, about Harvard people being out of touch. People might be book smart, but they're not street smart. And uh, you know the the the, <laughs> the list goes on. You know so. You are entitled, you are privileged, you are not real, you are, you know, you breathe rarefied air. And I just, you know what, I I don't really have time for any of that because a lot of the people who talk like that, they're not so down to earth themselves. So for them to be decrying a lack of down-to-earthness, if I can phrase it like that, uh, is really, it's, it's peak irony. It's peak irony. You have people who walk, who walk around like, like they own every inch of the ground that they're walking on. They believe that they're entitled to... All the best that life has to offer, they think that they're just two steps, two rungs above everybody else. But there they are, as soon as Harvard gets in the news for something negative, they're there throwing stones. 
Are there people at Harvard elitist? Yes, of course. There are people who are obnoxious and entitled and snotty and snobby everywhere. But Harvard doesn't have the market cornered on it. And quite frankly, I don't really want to listen to people right now some of them on on my side of the aisle because it's all about, oh, look at those libs. Oh, my God, those libs. Oh, they're so terrible. Everything's about race. Uh, I, I don't, I just, I don't want to hear any of that. This has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with my side of the aisle, people in my ideological camp uh, being able to get their yayas out and and spit on Harvard. It's it's not. This is not an opportunity for free for all. If people on my side of the aisle, on the political right, if they have any kind of interest, if they value this country at all have any interest in the values of this country and the pillars upon which this country rests, if they have any kind of principles, if they have the ability to see the larger picture, they're going to be outraged, but not because, oh, those liberals, look what those liberals are doing, look what those lefties are doing. This isn't about that. I mean... We do have the worst aspects of the left on full display, and it's quite disturbing. But this is fundamentally, well, first and foremost, geez, this this is actually hard. It's hard to say what's first and foremost. I would say, but I would say that first and foremost, this is about an elite institution, and it is elite, and there's nothing wrong with saying it's elite, and it's nothing wrong with being part of a tradition that's elite. Being elite, participating in something uh, that is elite, a culture that's elite, partaking in it, uh, being a part of it, that's not a bad thing. It's really not. Like I said, there are people who run around and they think they're better than other people, based on what? Harvard is supposed to be about academic excellence. It represents, as I said on my last week's show, this, it's about, it's about putting in work. It's about having a work ethic. It's about having goals. It's about striving and pushing yourself to be better. You know, we talk about athletes and and people who train, right? So maybe they lift weights, they eat certain foods. But they do what they can so that their body is in tip-top shape. Well, preparing for a chance to go to Harvard, I think it's very much similar because you're, you're training your brain. 
you're exposing your brain to different ideas, different tasks, different challenges. You're using your thought process to really kind of question everything that you you are, everything that you're about, and and everything that's around you. But there, there but there's a goal. There's utility in that because. After you've exposed yourself to different ideas, after you've actually contemplated a theory, a notion, you've digested knowledge, then you can make ideas that you express subsequently your own. They are your own. You have something to say that's, that comes from you. You have the ability to evaluate and, 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 and think critically. That's what Harvard is supposed to represent. I mean, my goodness gracious, all these years, if I've ever said that I've gone to Harvard, do people really think it's about saying that I'm part of this privileged set? Are you kidding me? It's about all the hard work I put in to be able to participate, to be able to enjoy, yes, the privilege, but the, but the privilege of, of operating at a very high academic level. It's a reward in itself. We can't just have mediocrity everywhere. We can't all be the same. Haven't we had enough of the ordinary? Haven't we had enough of the average, the mundane, all that's pedestrian? Has excellence really become a crime? Apparently it has. And so any institution, any concept, any idea that runs on the idea of excellence, that, that values standards, that has criteria by which something can be determined good or bad. Any and all of that is now being attacked. It's being assailed. Because the idea is to destroy standards. Just completely gut them. Rip them up, toss them away. Make them something that is actually considered... Uh, bad, negative, restraining, restrictive, limiting, discriminatory. It's gotten crazy, it's gotten disgusting, it's gotten gross. I remember growing up, and I've said this before, I remember growing up and... 
I remember thinking on more than one occasion, if you achieve something, if you work for something, you attain your goal, no one can take that away from you. No one. But we're living in times now where people would try to take it away from you. We're living in times where people try to diminish what you've achieved. And as I referenced, they even try to make you feel bad about having achieved something. I remember when I ran for Congress in 2020. And so the Republican challenger a woman by the name of Rayla Campbell. And the only thing, I've, and I've said this before, the only thing she should be running for is the bus. And even that's iffy, okay? But she was pulled out of nowhere and uh, because she was amenable to playing ball, the then party leadership, you know, the Republican Party, the former chair, got behind her, and pushed her as a choice. And it was funny because, you know, I was trying to say, well, this is why you should vote for me. I have a platform that I'm ready to talk about at length. And I have experience, and I have qualifications and the amalgam of that, everything put together, I believe, I'm ready to argue at any rate, would allow me to do the job of a congresswoman. So I laid out what I did, and I was branded uppity. Now, of course, I mean, we could certainly talk about how there were racial uh you know that I mean, some 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 of the criticism was racially tinged, uh, but that that's that that will be uh, something to unpack at another time. But uh, certainly, uh, I will acknowledge that here and now. But it was the idea that I was uppity, that I was unrelatable, that I couldn't understand the average person was going through. And in fact, I was more in touch, much, much, much more in touch with the issues than Rayla Campbell. She was completely out of touch, and she still is. So people have all these ideas about what Harvard means, about what Harvard is about. And so I'm going to tell you that for me, a Boston Jewish girl, being able to get in was a big deal. And I'll never, ever forget my grandfather. My grandparents came up from Florida because by that time, by the time I graduated from Harvard, they had moved, to, they had been living in Florida full, you know, all year round. And they they were happy. They, you know, they, you know, over the years, they had built a life for themselves there. They came up for my graduation. 
And I remember how proud my grandfather—oh, my goodness. I remember how proud my grandfather was. My granddaughter, Rachel, graduated from Harvard— So we fast forward to the present. We have all this Claudine Gay mess. The fact that she contributed mightily to an environment that made it dreadfully unsafe or has made it dreadfully unsafe for my people makes me sick. It disgusts me. The fact that she, because I was at her inauguration, as I've shared, the fact that in her inaugural speech, she talks about meeting the moment and that she then goes on to not meet the moment. In fact, what she does is make the moment and unfortunately, tragically, it just ha so happened the moment wasn't very a good one at all. She contributed to the uncertainty, to the anxiety, to the stress, to the distress and discomfort of the Jewish community on the Harvard campus. And not just the Jewish community but the Jewish community's allies. For that alone, she should have been shown the door. She should have been shown the door. You know, we have this idea. And so those of you who've been listening to me for a while, you know that I have been saying very, I've been very vocal Jewish people are not considered oppressed. So people would use the success that a number of Jews have, they would use it against us as a whole, as a you know, against us as a whole as a people. And then by extension say, well, because you're successful. You're oppressors. You can never be oppressed. You can, you just, you're oppressors. Unless, of course, we're talking about white supremacists. And then all of a sudden, we have people who, who decry anti-Semitism for all of, like, maybe three or four minutes. But on the whole, grosso modo, Jewish people cannot be oppressed. Too successful, have too much money, they go to too many good schools, they have too many good jobs, they live in too many good communities. <laughs> so, we're, uh, on the whole, we're victims of the success of, admittedly, a large number of our people. 
But those of you who've been listening to me a while also remember very clearly that I very emphatically said, stated that it doesn't matter. I mean, we could, every Jewish person could be filthy rich, could be very, very affluent, live in the biggest, most expensive homes, have every comfort and luxury known to man at his fingertips. And you know what? Anti-Semitism still wouldn't be acceptable. Anyone can be a victim of racism uh, or, or, you know, any ism, you know, anti-Semitism, you know, of course we have homophobia. Anyone can be on the, the point is, is anyone can be on the receiving end of bigotry and anyone can, per, can be a purveyor of bigotry. Discrimination doesn't discriminate. <laughs> That's what I've said. And so now we're hearing, of course, what I've been saying. Well, we have DEI, and DEI has really kind of reconfigured how people think. It has chipped away mightily at the narrative that we can all get ahead, however difficult it may be for some of us, but we have a shot. And that hard work begets success, that eventually our ship will come in. No, the the people who've been pushing DEI, the pimps, have reconfigured the way we think, and then, as a consequence, we interact with each other very differently, don't we? When Hamas attacked, engaged in a terrorist attack against Israel, a genocidal, brutal terrorist attack, a particularly savage terrorist attack. It took the anti-Semites on campus no time to react and apportion any and all blame on Israel, if you can believe that. But of course, everything that's happening, how could you not? Because it's <laughs> it's right in your face. It's all Israel's fault. It's not a terrorist. It's not the fault of the terrorists. It's the fault of Israel and democracy. Sure, okay. But certainly, Claudine Gay's lack, egregious lack of leadership. She should have been shown the door. And then people started looking at her a little bit more closely. And because she's an academic, they started looking at her work. And of course, all or everything began to unravel, and there were a staggering amount of instances of plagiarism. And it is kind of sad that it took untold amounts of plagiarism 
That was what actually forced Claudine Gay to step down. Not her aiding and abetting a vicious anti-Semitism on the Harvard campus, no. It was her egregious academic crimes. And I said upon sharing the news that she resigned that I was very happy that she resigned, that she's no longer president. Um, But I also said that it was going to take quite some time for Harvard to be able to repair its it's a reputation because in, in, in a few short months, Claudine Gay has wreaked havoc on the Harvard brand, on the Harvard reputation. She really, truly, truly has. And I think that, again, I remain happy she's no longer the president, but I think that Harvard has really quite the uphill battle. And I think that the governing board, people are going to start looking at the governing board next. Um, oh, they already started to, actually. Really? Haven't they? And it's with good reason because they created this fiasco, this debacle. They brought Claudine Gay in, someone who never should have been even considered for this role. And then they protected her, and they kept on digging themselves. And by extension, of course, Harvard University kept on digging a bigger hole for Harvard University. So now, you know, where does Harvard go? I mean, what are the next steps? I don't know. And like I said, it's, it's going to be a long road ahead for Harvard. And it's such a tremendous shame. And I read on social media one comment that I found particularly insightful. It's probably one of the most insightful comments that I've I've read. And it wasn't from one of these blue check marks or you know, these big, you know, big name academic or conservative critic. It was just a member of Joe Q Public and the individual said, you know, I feel bad for people who worked hard to go to Harvard and the name has been destroyed. And I'm not one for hyperbole. I'm not dramatic, melodramatic, it has been destroyed. Harvard made a—the governing board made a laughing stock of itself. And it's just—it's—it angers me. It angers me because so many of us did work hard. And and I I don't care if, if, you know, there was someone, you know, at my side— whose parents and grandparents went to Harvard. That doesn't mean that individual, he himself, didn't work hard. There are a lot of us who came from different walks of life. And we applied ourselves, and we tried to varying degrees 
uh, of success to meet the challenges, the myriad challenges that come with being a Harvard student, because it's not just the academics that can throw you for the loop. Um, you know, it's also the culture, or the culture as I knew it. And yes, it was elitist, but not, hmm, maybe it was in the way that some people accuse Harvard of being. But honestly, as I said, you know, this idea about elitism, it plays out all over the place. I mean, people like to, uh, you know, envision the scourge <laughs> of elitism, you know, taking place, occurring in, in, in select settings. But the truth is, it, 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 you know, you can find people from all walks of life, as I said, you know, that are elitist, that think they're better, that believe that they're better. They are selective in terms of the people they surround themselves with. Not because it's about, well, I want to surround myself with good people. No, it's about surrounding themselves with people that they consider to be notables. So, forgive my pause, but it's just, I'm trying to find the right words because this next bit is really something. It's really something because I'm never going to say, well, I'm unhappy that Claudine Gay resigned. No, <laughs> I'm very happy. But my happiness is very much tempered. It's very much tempered because she's no longer president, but she's still going to be at the university. And I think it's a really, really, really big slap in the face that she is going to be teaching in the political science department. And again, remember, remember, folks, it's the tsunami of allegations of plagiarism that sunk her. And what does Harvard do? What is their solution? What do they see as the way, the path forward? Having her resign, but giving her, allowing her to return to her faculty position. Oh, and by the way, she'll still pocket $900,000 a year, which is what she was making as president of Harvard University. So the salary is, she's not going to lose out there. So she'll be expected to do less, even less. And she'll be making just as much money. So this is really quite the example. <laughs> this is like... This is the, the paradigm, the paradigmatic example of failing upwards. <laughs> and, and it's just what a horrible message it sends. If you cheat, we can get ahead.
But isn't that all a part of what DEI is? It's about forcing outcomes. Not based on people's intelligence, their talents, their innate talents, their work, their efforts. It's not based on any of that. It's based on profile. And if we let DEI continue to surge through the bloodstream of the United States unchecked, through our different states, through our, you know, more locally, our, you know, our neighborhoods, our, you know, right here in Boston, we are going to be sorry because we will find ourselves in a situation where we don't know what excellence is. We don't know what standards are. I'm going to tell you, you don't want to live in a society where there are no standards, where people can do whatever they want, where there are no consequences for doing what you know, what you very much know is not right. That's not the society that we want to move toward. And we're, we're quite honestly, we're already there. It's just a matter of how how much so, like how much so is it that people feel like they can act without any kind of consequence? Uh, how much is how much so, or how much is it that we can we can cut corners and still succeed? This isn't a society, a society that's built on DEI as opposed to meritocratic principles, the meritocratic ideal. It's not a society that's going to thrive. It's not a society that's going to flourish. Divisions are only going to become more pronounced and deepen and extend. And so... I come back to this thing about what this is ultimately all about. And it's it's about, I mean, it certainly is about, <laughs> I think probably, if not the world's oldest bigotry, one certainly one of them, anti-Semitism. But it's also about a framework that society has been shoved into and has been made to, to fit into. And this, this new look, this new way of moving or thinking, it's... It's about, as I said, profiles. It's about identity. It's about grievance. It's about oppression. It's about righteous anger. Righteous anger, lots of air quotes. 
whereas the meritocratic principle is about success. At the very least, it's about working for a sense of fulfillment and a sense of achievement. It's about a quiet confidence that is earned through working toward a goal. It's about, I think, a celebration of the individual being free in society to work toward his or her own goals that will leave him in a better position to be productive. I'm going to use the word fulfilled again, to be fulfilled, and, and to live a life that, that is fruitful, that is worthwhile, that is maybe even inspiring. Such a contrast, huh? It's quite a dichotomy. When you juxtapose those two visions next to one another, it's, it really is quite something. It's very jarring. Very jarring indeed. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to go to a break. And then when I come back, we're going to finish out the show. We have about 14 minutes or so. So I want to kind of shift gears. Um, but when I said we had a lot to dive through, a lot of material, I wasn't kidding, was I? <laughs> uh, okay, so let's go to that break. And then we'll be right back. Estos son los sonidos de una cena. Una cena que casi no sucedió. Es una cena servida gracias a personas como tú. Debido a la crisis actual, 50 millones de personas pueden vivir con hambre este año. Feeding America está ayudando a los que más lo necesitan. Y si quieres, tú puedes ayudar también. Visita feedingamerica.org diagonal en guión español. Patrocinado por el Ad Council y Feeding America, la fuerza de 200 bancos de alimentos. Are our love bugs and companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life better. When we face unexpected challenges, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people and their pets. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Rachel Meiselman. You're listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM, Boston. So, <laughs> let's, let's shift gears. So, of course, we had uh, different municipalities around the Commonwealth. Um, they held inauguration ceremonies. So, Rivera, for instance, uh, they there was a swearing-in for the mayor, of course, um, but also school committee, uh, and then, of course, the city council. In Boston, uh, we just had uh, the swearing-in of the city council. Um, but, again, you know, just in different places around the Commonwealth, uh, there was, you know, inaugural festivities. 
inaugural celebration, so it was really nice. And I think that, you know, the, the, the newness, you know, the, you know, it's the start of the, uh, you know, the calendar year, the Gregorian, uh, Gregorian year, uh, you know, you think that, well, you know, I have a lot of hope or, you know, I'm looking forward to the best. I'm hoping for the best. And, you know, as I said, certainly if there are new faces, I think that that lends itself to, you know, people might be, you know, a little bit more optimistic <laughs> about things getting done, about their voices being heard, uh, just just in general about things just kind of playing out a little bit differently and better than they than they had previously. Well, let's look at Boston. So people still want to talk about the electeds of color holiday party. I don't really want to talk about it. Uh, not certainly not the way a lot of other people have been uh, on my side of the aisle. Do I agree with the party? No. Am I going to criticize Michelle Wu for holding a party that has been held now for ten years, an annual party that's been going on for a decade? But let's pile on Michelle Wu. And it's completely wild because certainly, and Michelle is very much aware of this, I've been very critical of her over the years. But, you know, I, I've said publicly and I've also said privately to different people, including people who are in her circle, that I'm never going to cross a certain line. I'm not going to be disrespectful. And whatever I say to Michelle or about Michelle, if it does happen to be negative, it, it comes from a place of conviction. It comes from my heart. It's something that I truly believe. So it, it's not done out of political expediency to curry favor uh, with one group or another. <laughs> Goodness gracious, if I were worried about currying favor with one group or another, half the things that come out of my mouth would not come out of my mouth. <laughs> but, I mean, certainly, you know, to, to get back to the point, I, I make it clear that I'm not going to cross certain lines. You know, I think that you can be as upset and angry as you wish to be about a given situation. You have that right. But I just personally think that no one does himself any favors if he, yes, I, I use he, the generic he, and I'm not going to stop using it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry, I had, to, I had to get in that parentheses there. Uh, I don't think anyone is doing himself any favors by just not being dignified by being ugly by neglecting to be thoughtful I, I think it's important 
to envelop everything that you say and and what you stand for. I think that should be all swathed, presented with grace and in in grace and with grace and by grace. It's just. I don't believe in vulgarity. I don't. I don't believe in the ad hominem attacks. And I'm swivel-headed in my critique, very much so. I mean, my goodness gracious, just <laughs> check me out on social media. You know, just it's, it's very obvious that I, <clears throat> I, I certainly don't play favorites, and I, I'm, I'm fair. I think I'm fair. Someone might try to disagree with that, and that's fine. <laughs> that's have at it, but I'm, I'm swivel-headed in my in my criticisms, which simply means that I am not going to lambaste bad behavior that comes from someone whose views I don't myself embrace, right? I, I mean, I'm not going to my my distaste for an idea, for behavior, for rhetoric. It's not. It doesn't vary according to where that person falls in the political spectrum. If you're on the political right and you're a schmuck, I'm going to say something. Or if I think you're a schmuck. Could I be wrong? Of course. But it's, it's, we're talking about what I think. And the point is that it doesn't matter where you are. And you know what? I don't even have to like somebody. I mean, th- th- we could be talking about someone I, I just, you know, just have no use for. But if I, if I think that someone is being unfairly treated if I think that someone is is being harassed or abused or whatever, I'm going to say something. Now, I'm not saying I have no use for Michelle. I actually, I, I mean, there's certainly things over the years that I've been very critical of, um, you know, regarding Michelle's maybe behavior or her habits or her way of her ways of moving. But Michelle can be very pleasant. Michelle can be very affable. And I think that that actually served her well um, when she ran for mayor. Right? I mean, it's not fake. Michelle can be very nice. And it's, it's not put on. It's not affected. So, again, that serves her well. My problem... I think, is that, you know, you're looking at Boston, and already the nastiness has begun. And what I will say, you know, so already, like, we're at day three, and already hopes for, like, you know, uh, a less acrimonious uh, session on the city council <laughs> It's already, <laughs> you know, the hopes are already dimming, fading. And, it, and it's, it's sad. It's sad, and there's no need of it. Uh, I've been very upfront about 
my my ideas, my thoughts on this, that it's it's largely coming from one person. And what I'll say to kind of jump back and make a general statement, which of course then not only includes this person whom I think is causing like 95% of the problems, and that's a conservative estimate, um, and just people in general uh, that are of this, you know, ilk. I think some people function best when there's chaos, and they, they thrive on strife. And they delight in the politics of personal assassination. And so these are people that I don't want to be around, that I don't really have any respect for, um, because I don't like mean people. I just don't like mean people. And I'll say this. People think that they often think that if you're nice, that you're a pushover, that you're weak. And I would argue that it's very much the opposite because it is very easy to be base. It's very easy to be resentful, nasty. But to be gracious and to be nice, to be solicitous, to be courteous, to be thoughtful, that's not so easy. And, and, and to observe the niceties, regardless of the venue, regardless of the people in the venue, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a lot more difficult to be nice. But no, I don't like mean people. And I just, it's sad because... Boston has some serious problems, and I am not here for the ego of this person or that person. I mean, we've had people over the last few years who really think, well, I should be on this council, I should be mayor, I should be this, I should be that. And it's like, you say to yourself, it's like, my goodness gracious, some people, they clearly live in an alternate universe. They're not fully in touch with reality. It's really quite something. Um, but I, I will continue to talk about this particular theme because we have to have a city council that works together. We have to have a city council with people who are professional. We really do. And and if we can't get that, then we really need to start, um, you know, running people. And, and we need to stand up and start voting. Uh, at the very least, we need to speak up and out. And on that note, uh, that's all I have time for today. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. And I look forward to hanging out with you next week. The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119.
To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org.